New to the living healthy lifestyle or a healthy living veteran, this is your place for honest answers. Naturally Savvy with registered holistic nutritionist Andrea Donsky and health journalist Lisa Davis. Hi, I'm Lisa Davis. My wonderful co-host, Andrea, is away today. But speaking of co-hosts, one of my co-hosts on Clean Eating Dirty Sex, Dr. Denise, is joining me today. So I'm very excited because I just adore her. And if you haven't checked out Clean Eating Dirty Sex, go to www.cleaneatingdirtysex.com. It's a lot of fun. It looks at all aspects of health, and we have a blast. Dr. Denise, so glad you're here today. Welcome. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Well, you know, the second I had an opening, because the show will be booked for a long time, I was like, who am I going to ask? Of course, Dr. Denise. And, you know, I've been going through some hard times right now with some loved ones that are struggling with addiction, one to the point uh, where they're in the hospital and there's so much damage done to their body from alcohol. So I really wanted to talk today about supporting loved ones with addiction, because as you know, you can't make people quit. And it's so frustrating. And Dr. Denise, I know you have your own story. So if you want to start with that, and then if we can help me help the listeners to know what to do in this hard situation. Well, I think I'm going to actually start with the word surrender. And oh, I like serenity. that. And the, yeah, mm-hmm. I think we need to have those be some really key topics, because when we have loved ones that are addicted to drugs, senses, porn, shopping, anything, you know, we are not them. We can't control them. So we have to realize, and I do love the serenity prayer, you know, we have to realize that we're powerless over their path. However, there's ways to be loving, kind, empathic, and supportive in a way that's not judgmental and also a way that's not codependent. Because what can happen, and the reason why I say surrender is to kind of realize what our role is. Because, you know, if it, let's say it's alcohol. you We cannot control if someone's going to go to the liquor store or if they're going to hide their alcohol or lie to us, right? But what right, we can right. control is how kind and supportive and loving we are when we have an interaction with them, okay? And so I think I want to just, first of all, send you the biggest hug, Lisa, because we, you and I spoke this weekend, you shared very personal information about a dear friend. And I think society needs to be vulnerable and be transparent. And that's why this show is fantastic. And I'm going to let you know, my own father got sober when I was 11. And um, I went to those Alateen meetings where you, you talk to other kids about what it's like. You know, before he got sober, he was hiding vodka bottles. He was lying. He was bringing home almost like bribery ice cream after he felt guilty if he had a blackout night the night before. He was not a mean drunk. He was just a non-present, like emotionally disengaged. Mm. Um, And he got sober, which was like one of the biggest absolute gifts in my lifetime. And I feel like it's really made me a better doctor. And, um, you know, I think supporting our loved ones is making sure we take care of ourselves because like Lisa, you are such a love and a lot of us are, we, (laughs) we get sucked in when we see someone like self-destructing, like there's, there's the energy exchange between all of us. It's like a quantum physics energy exchange. Right. And so when we are highly empathic, like you are, we have to have tools and maybe I can start to give those tools. Maybe I can let you talk a bit. Do you want me to give those tools, those empathy tools? I would love for you to give. Yeah, that would be great. Okay. So basically it's about being mindful. So let's say we're thinking about someone we love, like your loved one, 
that's not their health isn't well or like when my father was continuing to drink I would just still say to myself you almost have to say your own little prayer or intention like tell them that you love them but also don't don't judge their behavior but just say I really wish you can come from a place of health and then we have to draw the line whether it's in our own mind, imagining like white light around ourselves or a waterfall or just telling ourselves, okay, I was loving to them. I've got to focus on Lisa now. I've got to focus on Denise. Because if we start sabotaging our own thought process and thinking in unhealthy ways, then we're not really doing ourselves a service. So we have to stay in a place of self-love and self-care. Because sometimes you can drop everything and start to help someone else and you're really not doing them any good or yourself. So I think being nurturing and loving, you can give, give someone little notes. You can tell them that you love them. And if someone has one day of sobriety or one day of not doing their addiction, just go, wow, what a great time with you. And you don't have to bring up the alcohol or the addiction. You can just sort of say to them, you are really present with me right now. And I really, really appreciate that. You're such a good communicator. <laughs> I love it. And you give such... Such great tips. You know, Denise, I'm curious about a spouse, a partner, uh, you know, significant other, whatever you want to call it. There's a point where they can feel like I've tried everything and they're not quitting. And I feel like there's a point where they need to leave that person where, you know, I, I couldn't stay and watch someone destroy themselves. What, what, what do you say to that? Well, I've seen that, you know, I'm an adult and child psychiatrist and I work with adults that have gone through this, wives and husbands, where you have to do the risk-benefit ratio for the family system. You have to look at, like, has the person tried treatment? And also, are our children safe, right? So you really need to look at the whole family system because you can't, like, for one person, it might make more sense if their spouse is going to fight them for custody, and then you've got, they're still using substances, and now you're only with your kids half-time. So I think sometimes oh, people stay in marriages because they know that they can hold down the fort and they, oh, okay. people, especially if you have children, if you don't have children, I'm not, you know, there's different dynamics that can happen. So I think it has to go with like the risk benefit ratio of self-love. Am I thriving? Are my children thriving? And then you have to assess mm. the situation in totality, right? Because you yes. can't, there's not one size fits all. You can't be like, oh, my husband's drinking every day or my wife's drinking every day. I'm just going to leave them. You need to look. No, and no. people sometimes tend to judge. Like, why would you stay with that person? They have no idea what it's like dealing with addiction. If you haven't had a family member or someone you love deal with addiction, also remember not to judge the situation. It's way more complex than you could ever imagine. Yeah, it is really complex. And I think that, you know, when you talk about that self-love and self-care, I just think there's a point where if they're not willing to go to therapy or go to rehab or go to a 12-step, if they're not willing to do anything and they just want to keep Mm -hmm. drinking, that's where it's a concern. It it seems like it's just so self-destructive. And I think for a lot of people, there's trauma underneath or there's things that are too hard to look at and it's easier to continue with the behavior that's numbed them from that. Partially. I mean, you're the psychiatrist. Well, I'm, a, <laughs> I'm just playing I'm, one. <laughs> well, you're, 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 no, I, I give everyone's mindset a plus. So good for you. you. Sure? But I'm going to give a real personal share. My dad got out yeah. of rehab after he almost died of delirium tremens on the side of a, like one of those oasis where you get like a little soda with your kids. And he was in yeah. the intensive care unit. I was in second grade. I remember the call. My mom looked horrified. He was on a Cub Scout trip with my brother. 
And he started withdrawing in front of my brother, who was in first grade. Oh and he got put in the intensive care and almost died. Then the social worker, who she really did the wrong thing because I got high, highly trained, she looked at a uh, nine- and seven-year-old and told us, you know, your dad could have died. That's the first thing she said to kids. That was highly traumatic. That's not the first thing you oh, say to a child. Oh, that's terrible. Right? No. Oh, it was yes, horrific. And so then it became my new, I was like, oh, my God, I got to find all the vodka bottles. I was like on a mission to have him not die. Okay. And so I'm going to tell you, when he got out of that round of rehab, he wasn't ready to be sober. And I started finding the vodka bottles. And then I told my mom and he called me a snitch, but she actually kicked him out of the house. She said, you need to go. And he lived with one of his best friends from work. And then he got sober. He found he's a very, you know, he's no longer with us. He's in heaven now, but, and he did live a long life after sobriety. But he said to me personally, what did it is he missed his children my mom had set a limit with him and he did believe in God and he just surrendered and he went off to rehab. I think that was his second time and then got sober from age 36 until he passed away at 67. And I'm telling you, Lisa, actually, I'm going to get a little teared up. I mean, Mm. oh my goodness. His sobriety was the biggest gift in my lifetime. And all my patients don't feel shame. Like there's something about that life experience for me, having a father get sober and almost die, that I don't have to tell people about it, but they feel like almost like the love and the non-judgment that I have. And so I also want everyone to remember that if we have a loved one that's using substances or a best friend, that they're, they're on our path for a reason, whether it's our parent, whether it's a best friend, and we're supposed to use that experience to self-love ourselves and to help others in the world. I truly believe that. Oh, I completely agree as well. Thank goodness that your father was able to get sober. You know, a a lot of times it's hard for people and they try again and again and it doesn't work or they, they're, you know, and and I asked earlier about the trauma. What do you think of that in terms of just, it's just too hard to maybe face what their, what the drinking started about? Oh, like what trauma he had or what trauma the family had? No, no, just in general, like for people who, you know, they try and they try to quit and they can't quit. Is Do, do you think for some people it's just there's too much pain inside and so they just don't want to have to like stop drinking and look at all the stuff that they've been well, running from? Well, okay, well, I'm going to put the psychiatrist hat on and also my experience. Yes. I think a lot of people who use alcohol, drugs, porn, whatever – have underlying low grade, they might, it might not be a full blown Western medicine diagnosis, but their souls either really hurting, they're spiritually empty. They could have depression, Mm -hmm. anxiety, ADD. And so a lot of times when people come to see me and they're struggling with substance use, oftentimes I uncover either like another trauma or they're self-medicating for depression, anxiety, ADD. And so I think that it's very, very important that you take a holistic approach. You know, I, I recommend to people like, what's your nutrition? What's your fitness level? I check in with people, you know, what are your spiritual beliefs? Do you believe in a higher power? Cause I want to meet them where they're at. And I think sure. when you have like a higher power, it doesn't have to be God or Buddha it can be, I love that. And you know, that's what's, and what's, what resonates with me. Like, but love is really the, the highest vibration, whether you believe in um, any sort of religious, more of a spiritual belief system. And so I try to really have people connect with their higher self and what's their best version of themselves, being their own best friend, the highest level of self-love. And so then when you get to that place, so much healing can happen, speaking of the trauma. 
Because I often ask people, well, when's the last time you felt like you were thriving? And when we do that, it's almost like, you know, because you love to cook. And I'm, by the way, that's not yeah. one of my superpowers. <laughs> but um, when you're making like <laughs> amazing, oh my God, I'd blow up the kitchen, everyone. Anyways, um, but like the ingredient factor. <laughs> Um, I love humor, by the way. So the ingredients, the ingredients that we need to have a successful life, it's almost like you self, you look in the mirror and you ask someone, this is a big point of healing. This is a mindfulness approach to healing. What has made you the most passionate and feel the most alive and the most happy? And you can use that kind of sounding board to get someone to rebuild their life when they are dealing with substance use. Because if we go mm. back in old patterns of what I'm doing wrong or how I effed up or how I, like, then we're going into catastrophic punishment mode and trauma mode. Instead of, I am here in the now, this is the moment we have right now. How can I make a healthy choice with, like, not using a substance or choosing the right food or not being engaged in a certain porn? How can I go out and have healthy fun where I'm getting high on life or my own, like, I, I go around town, oh my gosh, I told everyone in my practice, I am like rocking out in my car. Like it's my own like positive vibration <laughs> because no, I literally have my little sun hat on. You would think I'm at a dance club when I go around town and I already warned the parents in my practice. I'm like, please know that this is how, like you wonder how I can do all this, how I can be a doctor and a mom. I have my own little, like my own little like club, <laughs> but that's, see, to awesome. me, that's like natural positive vibration. Right. And being outside and swimming and so I think when, you, when you're talking about how do you heal, you have to tell someone, we have this moment right now. You know, you got to learn mm-hmm. from the past, but you got to step up to the, your highest level of you right now. And forgiveness of self and others, forgiveness, and, and also like forgiving those who trespass against us is big. I'm not trying to make that, it's, it doesn't matter what your belief system is, but when we forgive and we live in the moment, we set ourselves free. Mm, yeah, that's a good point. What do you think about the term, you know, rock bottom? Like people say, well, they just have to hit rock bottom. Because what happens if you hit rock bottom and it, the bottom just keeps falling out, you know, because I, I don't think well, there's this know, thing where I, you're going to make you know, we tell me what you think. Well, a couple things. I mean, I think it's a great kind of linear term. And it's almost like sure. what's going to make someone suffer so much that they have to get their heads out of their ass? rear end. Yes, <laughs> I'm just being exactly. fun. Next. I'm like, I can go, I want to go back and forth with a little profanity and a little bit of spiritual because this is how, by the way, this sure. is how I keep people engaged in my practice. Okay. So I think I that bet. everyone's kind of level of suffering is different. So rock bottom, let's say suffering. And I do know that the people who are at the highest risk for never getting sober are the ones who have untreated mental health issues and don't believe in some sort of higher power. Even if they're mm. higher powers, their family, doesn't, I'm not talking religion, I'm talking about something that keeps them connected and worth living and what's my purpose. And so I think if someone's very spiritually empty, they're at the highest risk of not getting sober. Oh, okay. That so makes that sense. Rock so bottom, what if- they might not, they might not hit, they might not ever hit a rock bottom. They're, it just might be like the floor is out from underneath. And so to me, how I engage someone with that is I like try to say, well, what have you done to really care for someone else? Like how does, like we're here to inspire one another. So I try to figure out what they've done that's made a difference so that they can have a sense of self-esteem. Because there's usually such a level of self-loathing and shame. It's like, how can you get someone out of the shame space and want to be sober? 
Well, that's a great question. How can you get someone out of the shame space and want to get sober? Or can you? Because again, it's, you well, can push, you, but there might be a better way, right? To communicate. Mm, okay. Well, what I tell people, okay, what I tell people when they come to see me, because I don't like people getting codependent, like, oh, I can only do my life if I see Dr. Denise, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Right? That's very unhealthy. Yeah. I say to them, you made the choice. You called me. You are the master of your own health and well-being. So I like to have people come from a place of empowerment already. Like there doesn't have to be stigma like, oh, I have depression. Okay, no, you called. You weren't feeling well. You're here. Let's do this. And so I engage them in a non-stigma thought process because the words disorder or alcoholic or addict, I mean, those are words, those are terms, those are real terms. However, they're not healing terms. And so I try to get people to shift the way they view themselves. Like even the minute I talk with them on the phone, I like to put people at ease. Oh, that's nice. Well, I, I tell you, you're just amazing at what you do. You know, for, for the person that I'm worried about in the, in the situation, you know, whether or not we're not sure whether or not she's going to make it, but if she does, like she cannot drink, like even the little bitest, bitest, a little bitest, a little bit of drink will kill her. And that scares the crap out of me. And I'm sure there's people out there where, you know, they'll say, if you smoke one more cigarette, that's it. And the person might still do it. And that's when I feel like you have to do that self-care, right? Because otherwise you're just going to get dragged down with them. Right. And I think when you and I spoke, you know, offline over the weekend, I told you, Lisa, you know, you're doing a great job. You're about to be with your husband and your daughter. And, you know, we can send positive thoughts to others, but then they have to do the work. So like if you've been a good friend or like, let's say you write her this most profound letter about how much you value her and love her. And you told me how fun she is and how her, it sounds like her laughter is contagious. And so if you were to write her this out of the park, beautiful friendship letter and just say, you know, I'm powerless over the outcome of your health, but boy, do I know you've been such an important part of my life and I love you. And to me, if you give your friend that kind of love, and you know that they know where you stand, that in itself is very healing. That is, you know, in in the last couple minutes, I just wanted to say that Dr. Denise is really, really brilliant and eloquent. She is also funny as heck. Let me just tell you. <laughs> she, Wait, uh, along rare with Randall. Yes, please go. <laughs> like I did everyone oh my gosh you guys I did a cat call on air and then I'm like oh, oh my gosh you're a doctor why are you doing the cat call then I'm like okay I'm gonna step up into my power people need to see the funny me too because you know what my patients get to see that why do you think they come to me yeah. they think I'm funny too I'm not only serious I mean I talk about prayer meditation but I do drop the f-bomb and then I say I'm sorry I mean like we have to be real <laughs> here and that's what makes life so much fun <laughs> Yeah, that is true. And on clean eating, dirty sex, it's not again. It's it's not about dirty sex, just like my book, clean eating, dirty sex. It's really about a holistic way of living and looking at your mental health, your physical health, your emotional health, and your sexual health. And on the show, we have a lot of fun. And since Dr. Denise has joined us uh, along with Randall Betker, it's just skyrocketed and we're having so much fun. So I really hope that you will check it out. Just go to cleaneatingdirtysex.com. And Dr. Denise, tell us how we can find you. Oh, yeah. Great. DrDeniseMD.com. D-R-D-E-N-I-S-E-M-D.com. And I will be heading to India soon so we can talk about that sometime. And uh, I just love you. Thank you so much, Lisa, for all you do in the world. 
Oh, thank you, honey. I love you too. I know I'm super excited for you. You can also uh, learn more about Naturally Savvy. You want to go to at Naturally Savvy uh, on Twitter, at Andrea Donsky, at Health Media Gal One, and at your Radio MD. I want to thank our sponsor this month. They are the fabulous Emerald Health Bioceuticals. Naturally promote your body's healthy response to pain and inflammation. They have a formula, it's formulated to support the endocannabinoid system. Uh, it's a really, really great product. And if you're curious about the endocannabinoid system, you want to go back to RadioMD.com, type in Naturally Savvy, or you can go to It's Your Health with LisaDavis.com. And right on my homepage, you'll see a picture, a graphic of Naturally Savvy. Click on it because my wonderful co-host, who isn't here today, Andrea Donsky, did an interview with Jeffrey Burke. He is a naturopath, and he talked all about the endocannabinoid system. So again, thank you to our fantastic sponsor, Emerald Health Bioceuticals. I want to thank everyone for listening and stay well.